Family, in 2020, we are scheduled to have our next presidential election. And that means that all this year, in 2019, you and I will see a host of brand new books start flooding the market. And of course, those books will be the life stories and the fresh ideas of all of the presidential candidates. You know, in our day, writing a new book or biography has almost become mandatory for those men and women wishing to run for president. It's really just uh, become one more thing that has to be done if you hope to make the Oval Office your daily workspace. You know, just prior to his campaign back in 2000, George W. Bush wrote a book entitled A Charge to Keep. Prior to the 2004 campaign, John Kerry wrote his book entitled A Call to Service, My Vision for a Better America. Many of you will remember in 2006, prior to his election, Barack Obama wrote his book. It was entitled The Audacity of Hope. And then in 2016, our current president, uh, Donald Trump, came out with his book. Uh, it was called Crippled America, How to Make America Great Again. Well, Christians, there's no doubt you can learn a lot about a presidential candidate by reading their political biography or autobiography. You can learn a lot about their life story, their policies, uh, their viewpoints, even their outlook on life. But the problem is, the only problem is, what you most often get when you read those political biographies is carefully scripted content. It's carefully scripted content. It gives you almost always all positives. And of course, that's planned because the candidate is being introduced to the public, to the nation, and, and so the writer, the candidate, is trying to put the best foot forward. By the very nature of biography, of course. Someone else is typically doing the actual writing, and in most cases, those biographers, those writers, do their best to keep it very positive. Well, friends, today we're going to open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And today in Colossians 1, we're looking at a fantastic section of Paul's letter to the Colossian believers where Paul shares what we could rightly call a short autobiographical sketch of his own perspectives on the Christian life and the Christian ministry. Now, family, what is so enjoyable about this section is that you and I are able to hear Paul speak to us in his own words, with his own personal perspectives on the Christian life and the Christian ministry. We're not getting it secondhand, we're not getting it from some other biographer, and we're certainly not getting it with some kind of spin put on it. Friends, as you and I interact this morning with Paul's brief autobiographical sketch here in the text, you and I as Christians are going to be able to draw out some wonderful parallels, some wonderful encouragements for our own Christian lives. And they're gonna, these perspectives are certainly gonna help us as we seek to develop our own Christian outlook on life. So friends, with that being said, let's open our Bibles here to Colossians chapter 1. And today we're going to look at Colossians 1 verses 24 through 29 as we seek to discover today six perspectives for a Christian outlook on life. Today we're going to talk about six perspectives for a Christian outlook 
on life. So as we come to the text, what do we discover about a Christian outlook on life? Well, here's number one. Number one, we have unique sufferings to rejoice in. Number one, we have unique sufferings to rejoice in. Now look with me in God's Word here, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. This is what Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, family, as I mentioned, this is a little section of Colossians where Paul starts to speak about himself. It's kind of an autobiographical little sketch. And Paul really began to speak about himself back in verse 23. Just look one verse previous to what we just read. Verse 23, Paul mentions there, "...the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." So that's where you kind of get this lead in to where Paul begins to talk about himself. In this little section that we're studying, family, Paul starts to digress a little bit. His main subject in writing to the Colossian believers was to help them address the supremacy, the all-encompassing power, the first-place position of Jesus Christ over all things. Well, Paul takes just a little pause from that topic for a moment, and Paul gives this brief perspective as he writes here in the early part of chapter 1. He's writing to these Colossian Christians. He gives them a little perspective on his own life and his own participation in Christian ministry. Now we have to remember, where was Paul writing from? He was writing from a Roman jail. Paul is reflecting on his experience here. He's a preacher of Jesus. He's here in a Roman prison. And yet Paul says, look at his perspective there in verse 24. I rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. In other words, family, when Paul considered the suffering that he was having to endure as a Christian and as a Christian pastor, his mindset, you notice, his mindset is not one of shame. It's not one of sorrow or sadness. It's not depression. Instead, even though he's in jail, he says, I'm full of joy. Yes, he was suffering. But this suffering was happening in what we would call the line of duty. He was suffering in the line of duty. He, it, it, was, it was bringing him joy that he had to endure this kind of hardship for the name of Jesus. Paul understood he was doing what God had called him to do. He was serving the Lord passionately, and it was making a difference in the lives of people. He was making a difference in the lives of these Colossians that he was writing to. And, and quite frankly, family... Paul's service as a Christian and as a pastor really impacted the entire church of Jesus Christ down through the ages. I mean, think about this for a moment. If Paul was not imprisoned during this time in that jail cell in Rome, then you and I would not have some of these rich treasures that we enjoy today that we call the prison epistles. Paul was in prison and he wrote there, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philippians, and he wrote Philemon, all during that time in that jail cell. Christians, here's a perspective you and I need to learn. Jesus has promised us that in following him, this Christian life is not always going to be easy. And some of you need to hear that again this morning. Because you and I are so typically desiring of what's comfortable. 
But what Jesus has called you to as a Christian is by its very nature uncomfortable. Jesus said in John 15 verse 20 that a servant is not greater than his master. What does that mean? It means if this world was hard on Jesus, the world is going to be hard on you as you remain faithful to Jesus. You remember what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul says, yes, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Listen, you want to be a Christian? You better get used to it being a little hard. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be maligned on occasion. You're going to be scorned. That hardship is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when it happens to you, Christian, the Bible says you are called to rejoice. Rejoice. That's what Paul did. Peter did it as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, Peter writes, But rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Friends, listen. Paul did have some very extreme difficulties in his life. Paul had it difficult. I think we could say that Paul endured more hardship, more suffering, and more pain. Paul had more of that in a month than most modern Christians get in their whole lifetime. But yet, Paul was not this monastic guy. Paul, Paul didn't think mistreatment was fun. He didn't get mistreated and say, oh, this is great. This is such a blessing. No. Paul didn't, Paul didn't uh, have happiness over his mistreatment, but yet he chose joy. He chose a, a perspective of joy in the midst of the hardships because he knew he was making a difference for Jesus Christ. And friends, that should be the same of you and me. You and I, every single person here, every single Christian here, you are going to go through unique circumstances that no other Christian is going to go through. They'll be unique to you, special for you, special hardships and sufferings and things related to your health or your family or your job or your community, your situation. They're going to be unique to you. But in those situations of hardship, Christian, you need to choose joy. Choose joy. Realize that you belong to Jesus it was hard for him. It's going to be hard for you at times. And yet you need to choose joy because you belong to Jesus. And he's going to use those hardships to draw you closer to him and make you a blessing to other people around you. Now, here's a second aspect, a second perspective that you and I need for a Christian outlook on life. Number two, we have harsh difficulties to unite us to Christ. Number two, we have, you, we have harsh difficulties to unite us to Christ. Look back at verse 24 again. Now stay with me. We're going to read the whole verse now. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. Now family, a lot of people stumble and trip and fall when they get to this verse. A lot of Christians even. They read this verse and they stumble and fall all over it because it seems like it, it seems like Paul is saying that that he is suffering in his physical body what Jesus couldn't finish when he was here on earth. Now that's what it seems like Paul is saying that he's continuing on the sufferings that Jesus 
kind of left behind and didn't complete. Now, it's interesting, the Roman Catholic Church actually uses this scripture as a proof text to say that Jesus' atonement was somehow incomplete and that Christians today, the suffering of saints is, is necessary today to, to supplement and bring to fullness what Jesus was trying to accomplish. But friends, listen, that, that, that interpretation of this verse is just dead wrong. We know from so many other places in God's Word that Jesus' death on the cross accomplished our atonement in full. There is nothing else left to add to that atonement. Nothing was left undone. Jesus' atonement was in full for the full pardon of our sins. So it's wrong. It's unbiblical to take a view to say that Jesus' death didn't accomplish everything we needed it to do. If you say that in even the slightest way, you are totally out of bounds with what the rest of the Bible teaches about Jesus' atonement. So if that is the incorrect inter interpretation, well, the question is then, well, what is Paul saying here? Well, family, what I think Paul is saying is that he is presently suffering in his life and Christian ministry. What would have been given to Jesus if Jesus was there instead of Paul? Now, look in your notes. I gave you a little explanation from Dr. John MacArthur. MacArthur says this, quote, Paul was experiencing the persecution intended for Christ. In spite of his death, Christ's enemies had not gotten their fill. So they turned their hatred on those who preached the gospel. That's a good explanation. I agree with that. I think that's right. Let me give you an illustration, friends. I want you to imagine back to your school days, all right? And all of us in our school days dealt with bullies. Bullies. You know, sometimes in your school, maybe the bullies were some of the big varsity football players. And they would come around school and they're wearing their big football jerseys and they were the big tough sports guys and they would go out and they liked to do big hits on the field and that really made them feel powerful. And so they would come into the school and feel as if they were powerful in the classroom situations too. And so you'd see these big stud football players and they would tease and they would bully and they would uh, even maybe rough up a little bit. Maybe the kids who were the bookworms or the kids who were into computers and they would tease and they'd gang up on this one kid and they'd give this kid who had a arm full of books and they'd tease him and give him a hard time. And But then all of a sudden, what would happen? They'd be teasing this one kid, this one bookworm, but then another kid would walk by who has an arm full of books and that kid was also a bookworm. So they would turn their bullying and teasing to that kid. So they were teasing this one and being mean and hard to this one. Now they turn their attention to this one who shows up on the scene. Why? Because they were both kind of in the same mold. And family, I think that's the picture here. If Jesus were still here in person, the unsaved world would still be giving it to him. The unsaved world, the carnal world, if Jesus was here, they would still be giving Jesus the business. But here in Paul's day, Paul knows Jesus is gone to heaven. Jesus is gone. And guess what? Who's the next best thing? Who's the guy walking down? The second guy? It's Paul. And so Paul is now receiving the, the pain, the punishment, the hardships. 
And Paul says here, I'm just, Paul says, I'm just filling up in my own personal experience what Jesus would be experiencing if he was still here. So Paul says, what I'm getting right now is just part of my connection to Christ. Because of my union with Christ, because of my connection with Christ, this is why I'm getting this punishment. And family, listen, that, that translates over into your experience as well as a Christian. The sufferings that you go through, the hardships, the pains that you go through as a Christian are a reminder to you of your connection with Jesus Christ. You are really united with and you are connected to Jesus Christ, your Savior. I mean, isn't that what the Bible teaches? That He is our head and we are His body? He did suffer pain and he did suffer the wrath of man when he was here during his life and ministry, right? But he's not here now. Jesus isn't here now, but guess what? You are. And so now you are on the receiving end of that wrath of man, the pain, the punishment, the suffering, the mistreatment. So because we are his body, you and I are going to have to endure a little suffering as well. And maybe you don't like hearing that. That's certainly not being preached by the likes of Joel Osteen and his ilk. But it is not easy being a Christian and being a part of his body means that you are going to experience some suffering, some hardships, because you are connected as the body to Jesus Christ, who is the head. So let's just make sure we're clear on what Paul's saying here. Nothing was lacking in what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing was lacking in Jesus' mediatorial work. When Jesus does redemption, he completes it. He fulfills it. Our sins are paid for, and that payment is complete. But in the ministry sense, in the ministry sense, as you and I go through this life as Christians, you and I are going to continue to get some some mistreatments and some malignments and some things uh, because we are the followers of Christ. But ultimately, praise God, God is going to use it for our building up and strengthening of our faith. So what do we do, Christians? What are you going to do when the hardships come, adversities come, hardships hit you because of your faithfulness to walk with Jesus? Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to cry? Are you going to complain? Are you going to put a bunch of moaning afflictions out on your Facebook page? No, that's not what you should do. You are to rejoice. You are to rejoice because that shows... That pain, that adversity, shows that you are united with Jesus. He is your head. You're part of His body. You wouldn't be going through this suffering were you not connected to Jesus. So, you are united to Christ. That is something to rejoice in. Yes, you have a salvation that's full and free and eternal. Amen. But guess what? Guess what comes with being connected to the head? As the body, you're going to get some suffering. A little bit of hardship and adversity and pain is going to come your way. So what's the perspective of the Christian? Look at your notes, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. We look at these sufferings. We don't go into sorrow. We don't go into depression. No, we understand. We understand the truth that this suffering is just a light affliction. It's just light. It's short. It's a momentary hardship that we are enduring here on planet Earth. This hardship is working for us a 
far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we don't put our focus, we don't put our hopes in dreams and what's happening to us here on the planet. No, we set our eyes on eternity and what Jesus Christ has for us. And all of these difficulties will soon be past. One day these things will be behind us. They will be just a distant memory. They will be just a shadow in the bright light of Jesus' glorious presence. Now, here's a third perspective. We have a special ministry to embrace. Thirdly, we have a special ministry to embrace. Look at verse 25. Paul, Paul was speaking there about the sufferings he was going through. Verse 24, for the sake of his body, that is the church. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, family, we see here that Paul did not view his office as an apostle with any kind of disappointment. Paul wasn't disappointed that he was an apostle. He didn't view that appointment with disdain. And on the other side, Paul didn't view himself as a celebrity. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul didn't say, woe is me, I got picked for this job. And he wasn't on the other end of the spectrum that says, wow, look at me, I'm the Apostle Paul, and I should be treated as such. No, Paul had the right perspective. Notice there, he viewed his office simply as a servanthood. I'm just a servant for Christ's church. In fact, family, that's what that word minister means. Minister. It's not a $5 theological word. It just means servant. Servant. Paul says, I'm just a humble servant, and I'm carrying out the, look at this next word, stewardship. The stewardship that my master has given to me. Now, some of your Bibles may have the word there, administration. Some of your Bibles might have the word dispensation. But the English Standard Version, the New King James Version, most of those newer translations go with this word, stewardship. And I think that fits the best. You and I understand what, it, what a steward is. A steward is someone who is chosen and is put in charge of another person's resources. Maybe they're put in charge of a person's money or their finances, their real estate, something. And that steward has a job, an assignment to watch over them carefully and use them wisely uh, for, the, for the owner. Now, let's use an example for someone right here in our own congregation. Let's talk about Bill Van Horn. Bill Van Horn is a finance guy. That's what he does all week long. Uh, he, he's an accountant. He's a, finance, uh, he's a finance manager. His job as a finance manager is to be a good steward, to be a good steward of his company's money. His job is to make sure that what's going on through their financial offices is all being done above board. It's all legal. All the bills are being paid. We're doing things correctly. The records are being kept, kept accurately. All the financial resources of the company are being used wisely. So in other words, Bill Van Horn, in his nine to five job, he is a steward. He is a steward. The money is not his. It's not his money. And it's not his company either. So it's not his money, it's not his company, but he's been chosen and he gets paid in this position to be a steward and his, it is his responsibility to manage the company's resources. Well, that's what Paul is describing himself as a, as a servant, as a steward. But notice, Paul describes his 
service here to Jesus, we already said how he described it as a joy. We focused on that, the joy of it. But Paul also says there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility here. It's a matter of duty that I was chosen for this by the Lord God. Now, we won't take time to do it, but you can go back on your own and, and read what happened to Paul. That he got set on this path of this stewardship, this special duty. Back in Acts chapter 9, the Lord Jesus comes and appears to Paul there on the road to Damascus and gives him this special assignment, this responsibility, this, this stewardship, this task. Well, notice verse 25. Where'd that stewardship come from? Verse 25. From God, Paul says. This came from God, given to me, for you, for you Colossians, to fulfill the word of God. You see, Paul viewed himself simply as a servant, a servant of Christ's body. But Paul also had the bigger view that it was God who picked him for this job. God gave him this assignment. So the stewardship came from God. Listen, believers. This has great application for your life. You need this as part of your biblical outlook on life as a Christian. You need this. Christian, you need this same outlook that God has appointed you as His servant. You are one of His servants, Christian friends, and He has appointed to you certain specific tasks and goals that He wants you to accomplish. There are good things that won't get accomplished in the body of Christ unless you fulfill your responsibility to do those tasks. Look in your notes. I gave you there Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, Christian, did you know that God has a whole bunch of stuff that He wants you to do? You. He has stuff he wants me to do. Yes, me. We can talk about my responsibilities and ministry and family and dad, husband, church. We can talk about my responsibilities. How about if I had a cup of coffee with you and we talked about yours? Your responsibilities in the body of Christ. What are you doing? You are a servant. You have been given special gifts. You have been given certain abilities that God has only given to you for you to use in your context to serve the body of Christ. So the question for you, Christian friend, is very simple. Paul says, I'm serving. The question for you, Christian, is, are you? Are you? Are you here week by week? Are you here as part of Grace Baptist Church? Are you here to be ministered to? Or are you here to minister? Well, that's a sermon in itself in that one sentence. Are you here to be ministered to, or are you here to minister? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one has received a gift. Minister it then to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, you turn a diamond and you see all the various sides of it, and that's like God's grace, the manifold graces of God. You know, the wonderful grace of God has been displayed in every single one of your lives and things and abilities and gifts He's given you. And Peter says, you're to use those. You just, you're not supposed to sit on them. You're not supposed to squash them. You're to be a good steward, Christian. You're to use them. Use them for God's 
glory. So friends, you and I need to ask ourselves a question. We're, we're reading here about Paul. We need to ask it for ourselves. Am I serving? Am I serving with the abilities that God has given me? Am I using my gifts, my talents, my abilities as a stewardship from God to benefit his body of Christ? Christian friend, I'm reminding you here today, it's not just the pastor, it's not just your deacons, or some select hierarchy of a Christian group who's designed to serve. Oh no, if you are born again, you are to serve. You have been given a stewardship of service, a special ministry. God wants you to serve in some way and to be a blessing to the growth of His body. Family Paul had the right perspective. It's a perspective of service. And we need to realize that as Christians today. You need this if you want to have a Christian outlook on life. You are called from a stewardship of God to have service. This is part of the Christian's outlook on life. Now here's number four. We have a life-changing message to proclaim. We have a life-changing message to proclaim. Verse 26. Here Paul begins to talk about this Word of God that was made fully known... Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Friends, you and I could probably spend a couple Sundays just starting to unpack the significance of what Paul's talking here about the, the mystery. The mystery, but... We don't have much time. So let me just quickly summarize here and explain what Paul's talking about here. What is this mystery? You and I hear the word mystery and, and our mind goes to a certain definition that we've always learned. You know, you turn on Netflix and you say, I want to watch a mystery. You go to the library and you want to go to get a certain section of books that has mystery. Maybe you like to read a mystery novel. Typically, when you watch a mystery, read a mystery, it's a tale of intrigue where the answer kind of just is never known. You know, like, why did this happen? And it's this mysterious thing, and you sometimes the movie tells you what happens, and they solve it like in a Sherlock Holmes thing, and other times they just leave it hang out there. You watch this news program where a bunch of people were killed, or maybe people died in a very weird accident, and they just kind of get to the end of the documentary news program, and then they just say, what happened? And they just go, wow, we don't know. It's just mysterious. We don't know. That's typically what you and I think about when we bump into this word mystery, but that's not the meaning of this word. The, Paul, the word that Paul uses here, when, when Scripture speaks about mystery in the New Testament, it's talking about a truth, a truth that for the longest time was unknown. For the longest time, this truth was hidden. It wasn't understood. It wasn't unveiled. But then God made it known. And God said, here it is. And now this truth is widely known and it's no longer hidden, but it's revealed. It's, it's clearly seen. And so Paul is saying that God gave me this special service, this stewardship of proclaiming the wonderfulness of the, of the mystery. For ages and ages, Paul says, all throughout the Old Testament, this mystery was hidden to people's eyes. They didn't fully understand it. They didn't really get it. But now Paul says... It's revealed. It's revealed. And who's it revealed to? It's revealed to God's saints, God's people, those who have accepted Christ. Notice what Paul keeps saying there. This mystery is great. It's glorious. 
It's rich. It's, it's so amazing. It changes people's lives, especially it changes the lives of, of Gentile people, people who never had the first inkling of who God was. Well, the question that we're all asking right now is, what is the mystery? What is that mystery that was for generations hidden, but now fully revealed? The answer is, it's Jesus Christ dwelling in every member of his family, Jew and Gentile alike. That's the mystery. Now revealed, Jesus Christ is with his people. He's in them. He's with them. Every member of his family, Jew or Gentile. You see, going all the way back to the Old Testament, you remember there was this prophecy that Abraham was going to be a blessing to all of the world. Well, now in Jesus Christ, that blessing is fulfilled. Through Jesus Christ, anyone can be born again. Jew, Gentile, Ephesian, Colossian, Greek, Corinthian, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul says, that's what I proclaim. That's what I'm a messenger of. Christ in you, Colossians, you Gentiles. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, that's what I'm a messenger of. Listen, when you've got this message of Jesus Christ, when you know that Jesus is your Savior, you have this confident assurance. You have this joyful expectation of a future glory. And Paul says, that's what I'm a messenger of. I'm a messenger of Christ in you. All those who believe on Him have this hope, this assurance of eternal life. Christian, can I just remind you today? That's the message you carry. That's your message. That's your message. It's a message of Jesus Christ. It's a life-changing message. You know this is the only message that will ever change anybody's life. Do you understand that? Do you know the truth about Jesus is the only thing that will ever truly change someone's life? And it changes them from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Ephesians 2.13, Now in Christ, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christian, let me say something to you right now. A lot of times people will ask you, hey, what's going on in your life? And hey, what, what, what do you have to say for yourself? Anything going on? And most of the time, most of us go, well, you know, we shrug our shoulders and say, not much, not much. And hey, what's going on? What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, not much. No, Christian, no. You've got a lot to say. You've got a lot to say for yourself. You have a message you have a Savior that Old Testament saints never understood clearly. You have truth and theology and a gospel that these Old Testament believers never understood. And it's inside of you. And you're now a messenger of that truth to the world. This Christ, Jesus Christ, who saves all who call on Him. That's your message. We've got plenty to say. Just like Paul, we've got a lot to say. And what we have to say truly changes people's lives. Listen, maybe you're listening to this message today and you're not a Christian. 
Friend, we want you to know why Grace Baptist Church is here. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to introduce people to Jesus. We don't want to introduce them to church. We don't want to introduce them to religion. We want to introduce them to Jesus Christ because Jesus alone is the only way of salvation. Friend, if you're here and you don't know Christ, maybe you have questions about what that means to be a Christian, well, we would love to talk to you. We would love to show you the truth of Scripture. And Jesus alone is the only way of salvation. Family, here's now number five. We're talking about how to develop a, a Christian outlook on life. Number five, we have a worldwide mission to accomplish. Number five, look at verse 28. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Family, here's Paul's mission statement. Here's Paul's mission statement. Here's his life mission. It's interesting in verse 28, Paul's writing for himself, but he uses this we. It's kind of an editorial we, most Bible scholars think, that maybe Paul is including himself, along with all the other faithful apostles who are out there preaching this message. Notice Paul says there, him we preach. Who's the him? It's Jesus Christ. Notice Paul's Approach, his three-pronged approach. Did you see it there? Warning every man, teaching every man to present every man mature in Christ. Now, we don't have time to unpack it, but the Colossian church was facing some heresy, some teaching that it was only a select few who could ever rise to know the deep knowledge of the deep mysteries of the universe or God. But Paul says, no, the gospel goes out to every man. The full wisdom of God is, is displayed in Jesus Christ. And that's not for some little select few. No, it can be for anyone who believes on Christ. And so Paul knew that his mission was to take the gospel to all kinds of people. To warn every man, teach every man, ultimately to present every person mature in Jesus Christ. Family Paul had a desire not just to make Christians, but then to disciple them. To see them grow. He wanted to see them go to maturity. And when you think about it, isn't that why, isn't that why Paul wrote this letter in the first place? Isn't that why Paul wrote Colossians? Because he was writing to a group of Christians that were young in their faith, battling some challenges, battling false teaching, and he's in a jail cell in Rome. He's 1,200 miles away, but he wants them to grow. He wants them to have the truth. So he writes the letter of Colossians to them. He's warning them. He's teaching them. He wants them to mature in all wisdom in Christ. Family, Paul was a man with a mission, and this guy knew his mission. Christian friend, do you know that's your mission too? Have you seemed to have forgotten that? You know that your mission is not your career. Hello? Your, your mission is not your career. It's not your family either. And it's not making money or being healthy or just taking good care of your body and making sure you exercise and eat well so that you can have a lot. No, no, no. That is not your mission, Christian. You call yourself a Christian? Here's your mission. This is your mission. It's the Great Commission. To carry the message of Jesus to those who need to hear it. And guess what? That commission isn't done. Last time I checked, Jesus ain't here. Jesus didn't come back for the second coming yet, as far as I know. If he is, we're all in trouble that we're still here. But Jesus didn't come back, as far as I know. So therefore, that means the Great Commission isn't done. Which means your mission and my mission is ongoing. 
What is that mission? More warning, more teaching, more bringing people along and helping them to grow in maturity. Look, shame on Christians who are so lazy and lethargic and they think they're just going to coast off into the sunset and die in their sleep and go off into a heavenly rest. Too many Christians today are on comfort autopilot. And there's a problem there. That does not sync with the Word of God. Jesus does not desire you, Christian, to just go on cruise into comfort at autopilot and then retire and play shuffleboard and collect seashells and walk on the sand until you close your eyes in death. No, you are a Christian. You have a mission. You have a mission. Believers, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself, but I'm telling you, when I stand before Jesus, I want to tell Jesus, I did my duty. I did my duty, Jesus, the best I could. Jesus, I, I skipped the shuffleboard, and I skipped the expensive, luxurious cruises where they feed you five times a day. I skipped the retirement village, Jesus. I skipped the easy, relaxed life. Jesus, I put my heart, my life, and my soul into your mission, and I did it till my dying breath. Family, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. That was Paul's outlook. That's my, that's my outlook. And I pray it would be yours. Here's the sixth and final perspective we need. Number six, we have a divine power to enable us. Number six, we have a divine power to enable us. Verse 29, For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I meet a lot of Christians who talk about the fact that they struggle to figure this Christian life thing out. Christians who struggle with understanding how to make the Christian life work. How does it function? They, they ask, it's a good question. They say, do I need to like make stuff happen? Like, like spiritual stuff? Am I supposed to make spiritual things happen? Or do I just sit back and do nothing? Let go and let God. Well, friends, this verse we just read, Colossians 1.29, is a verse you better put a star by. You better underline it. Because this is the perfect answer to the question. This is the perfect answer. And the answer is that we are to work hard and study hard and pray hard and teach hard and warn hard and witness hard. And when we do that, God, by His power, works in us and energizes us to do that work. I'll never forget when I was a kid, my grandparents took us on vacation out to Colorado to do some camping. They had friends for many years who lived with them in Maryland, and these friends moved to Colorado. We go to Colorado on vacation. We stop to visit these old friends. They happen to have this old, late 1970s silver moped in their garage. Not running. Well, my grandfather was always kind of a motorhead and a fix-it guy. So he says, hey, can I what are you guys doing with that moped? They said, it's junk. It's not even working. You can have it. My grandfather says, I'm going to take it with us on vacation. I'm going to get it running. So he got this thing running, changed the spark plug, kind of tinkered with it a little bit, fresh gas. First thing you know, this thing's running. What was so funny, we're out in the hills of Colorado. My brother and I are driving this little 70s silver moped around. But what was so neat about it was when you wanted to ride this moped, the first part of it, you had to pedal and pedal and pedal and pedal and pedal. And then finally, it would get enough power somehow to make the engine start and then you could kind of cruise along 
until you maybe got to a hill and then maybe you have to add a little bit more foot power to it. But the point is, you didn't just jump on it, hit the gas and go. No, it required effort on your part to make it go. And that's what Paul is describing here in the reality of the Christian life. Did you see in verse 29 there, Paul says, I labor, I toil. That means wearisome toil. He says, I strive. That means to agonize. In other words, Paul says, I put my guts into it. I worked hard at serving Jesus. I labored, I toiled, I agonized. And then his mighty power was at work in me. Family, this is the balance you're looking for, Christian. You say, how do I make this Christian life work? Well, here it is. This is the outlook. You don't do it solely on your own strength or your own power. It's not just about you doing spiritual stuff in the flesh. No. And you also don't just do nothing. You don't just let go and let God. No. The Bible says you sweat and you work and you toil and you pray and you serve and you witness and you put your heart into it. And as you're doing that, you find that God's Holy Spirit is energizing you and empowering you in that work. And that is when the spiritual results start to show up. It is God unleashing His power in us as we are serving Him wholeheartedly. Well, believers, we're going to close our time now here in Colossians 1. I hope this little section of Paul's autobiography here in Colossians, I hope it's encouraged you and challenged you. Maybe some of you Christians right now are struggling along in life. Maybe you feel like your spiritual life's at a standstill. Maybe you kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels. Your life has not much purpose. You don't feel like you have a whole lot of meaning. If that's you this morning, friend, then come back to this text again. This text right here is going to give you a fresh perspective on your Christian outlook on life. Listen, there's a lot of books you could go read. You could go read Bill Clinton's biography. You could read Hillary Clinton's Run for the Presidency. You could read George Bush's book. You could read John Kerry's book. Sure, you could go read President Trump's book. Yeah, maybe in those books, maybe you'll find a couple little nuggets of wisdom. Maybe you'll find a few inspirational sentences. But Christian, let me tell you, no political biography, no other book by man can give you the matchless wisdom that you need, the guidance for life that God can give you in His inspired Word. Believer, if you're looking to develop a Christian outlook on life, there is no other book on the shelf that can compare to this one. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.